Thank you, Chris. Morning, everyone. Well, today we have, um, as our text, probably the most, the most turned to psalm that we have um, for our time at the moment. Some have even called it the coronavirus psalm. It was a psalm that we turned to, if you remember, as a church when we gathered to pray the, the night before the, uh, the strict lockdown measures were brought into place. It was that um, evening as we began to realise the enormity of all that we faced as things began to unravel before us. How pertinent those words from Psalm 46 were to us then. And they speak so helpfully to us today as well. This psalm faces head-on world catastrophe as a reality, but also as God as the only solution. The psalm starts in the most important place. It starts with God. How we tend to make God the last place that we turn to when we come to crisis. How often uh, we turn to God with anger, perhaps, and unbelief. How can a God of love allow such suffering, we ask, rather than starting by declaring who we know God to be? Well, last week we began our new series in the Psalms as we explore that theme of God no ordinary father. We discovered, didn't we, from Psalm 104 that God is wonderfully creative, that he is the creator of this beautiful world that we live in. And yet at the same time as being our creator, he desires to be in relationship with us. He desires to be intimate with us, not an alienated God, but a loving father. While Psalm 46 opens by telling us who God is, it tells us that God is our refuge a safe place to hide, a shelter, always available to run to for cover, trustworthy to keep us safe, a place of retreat and accessibility, ready and waiting to receive us. But God not only offers us protection, we discover, but he offers the inner strength that we need. Did you notice the phrase, our God, our refuge, our strength? This is a personal experience for the psalmist who writes, this psalm. God is close, an ever-present help in times of trouble. He, here we see that God is never closer than when we are in trouble. Ever-present, constantly, always, without doubt, near and present, to help, to be a refuge and a strength. It was great to hear, wasn't it, from Phoebe and Carrie testifying to them knowing God to be their refuge and strength. What fascinates me, and actually there's lots that fascinates me about this psalm, but one thing that um, it assumes, which is really interesting, is that bad things will happen to us. You notice that in verse 2. This is a really different perception to the one that most people have about life. Generally, we tend to think that life owes us, that it, tr it should treat us well, that we deserve to be happy, that we deserve to be free from pain. And so with that perception... We feel very crushed when things go wrong. We often rile at God as if it's his fault. But you know, this psalm is much more realistic. Bad things happen, it says. They do and they will. So the two statements that this psalm makes are that God is mightily strong to provide safety in times of trouble and that bad things happen. It's interesting, isn't it, the order which the writer chooses to write them. He starts with God first, and then he keeps disaster in its place. Well, for us at the moment, we're acutely aware, aren't we, 
that bad things happen. We're also acutely aware that when bad things happen, it's not how it's meant to be. That we need help, we need a way out. And then people turn to all sorts of things, don't they, when they're in trouble. Netflix, maybe chocolate, alcohol, therapy, lots of exercise, friends, gaming, the internet, sorting and cleaning, lots of us doing that. We all search, don't we, for a way to cope or make sense of the difficult times that we face. Well, verse 2 and verse 3 of Psalm 46 speak of catastrophes of unimaginable size. Mountains falling into the sea, waters roaring, earthquakes, tsunamis, things beyond most of our comprehension. The psalm not only talks about natural disasters, it it also talks in verse 6 about national disasters as well, where nations like seas are in uproar. All notion of stability is gone. Calamity and confusion reign where peace should be. What these verses do is they describe the undoing of the creation that we looked at in Psalm 104 last week. And today, for us, we face a a pandemic of unimaginable scale, a catastrophe of unimaginable proportions. We've never heard the phrase unprecedented used so many times as we have over recent weeks. This beautiful world that we live in seems to be under siege, doesn't it? Uncertainty and fear are tangible for many of us as we seek to understand, we seek to find ways to defeat this enemy, this unseen enemy that we seem to be at war with. This, that's what makes this psalm that we're looking at today so relevant for us. Well, as we saw in the first verse, um, this psalm tells us that God is mightily strong to provide safety for us. But after outlining the the extent of the problem that the psalmist sees in verse 2 and 3, he goes on to show us that God is also mightily strong to provide a solution to the problem. Into this chaos in verse 4 and 5, we're taken to a besieged city, a city with a river. Such a contrast to that raging, uncontrollable sea in verse 2. A gentle, easy-flowing, life-bringing river that flows through the city of God. God offers life, water that brings renewal, refreshing, calm, peace, joy even in the middle of a storm. This city is the place where God resides, where God lives, the holy place where God dwells. God is within her, the verse says. This isn't just a city that God cares for. This is a city where God chooses to live. So not only does God offer safety, as we saw at the beginning of the psalm, he offers a solution to the chaos all around. And that solution is that he comes himself and lives with his people. Wow, what good news. In the Old Testament, the hearers would have known this as a reference to Jerusalem, God's holy city. However, for us, it demonstrates God's desire to be present with us, with his people and that's what that is the great news. The great news is that Jesus, whose uh, death and resurrection we celebrated just a couple of weekends ago, came and lived on this earth. God became like us, totally human, yet totally God, dwelling with human beings, entering into our world, into our pain, into our humanity, so that he could offer a solution to the world. That world that was once perfect, created by God, then damaged 
by sin and evil. And what's so amazing is that God didn't sit idly by and watch as the world collapsed in ruin. He couldn't. We heard last week that he created this world. He loved what he made. He couldn't allow for it to be ruined. Jesus, like the river in that besieged city, by his spirit brings life, redemption, forgiveness, renewal. And just as God dwells in that city, so now he dwells in us by faith. Just as the river of life is in contrast to that raging sea, so we can know that river of life that brings us peace while all around us feels like a raging sea. So in verses 6 to 9, God is able to bring a solution, not just to the present problem, but to the whole deeper problem, because God is sovereign. This keeps God in his rightful place, just as when God speaks to the earth as it was when he created it, so God speaks and the earth melts. The psalm tells us that God is, ironically really, but at war against sin and evil, but to bring peace. God is at work to restore this fallen world, to deal with war, to silence injustice and terror. God is mightily strong. But I want to, um, just for a moment or two, dig a bit more deeply into the promise of God's presence. Because the solution that God offers to this hurting world is his very presence. Not only is God mightily strong to provide safety, and mightily strong to provide a solution. He's also mightily strong to provide himself, here now and for eternity, his very self. The psalm has reminded us that bad things happen. This is inevitable. We've also been reminded that God is our refuge and our strength. That's the truth. However, I think this psalm shows us that to truly understand what it means to know God as our refuge and strength, we need to get to the truth that God is with us. His presence is promised that we will never, ever be alone, never, ever know um, isolation or social distancing from God. And that's what makes Christianity so unique. God is with us, and that can be life-changing. It's a message like a gold thread that runs through this psalm. In fact, it runs through the whole Bible. There are countless times when God promises to be with his people. He never promises to keep us from pain or suffering, but he always, always promises to be with us. Think of God's promise to Moses when he goes to Egypt and faces Pharaoh. God promised, I will be with you. Think of Joshua when he took over from Moses God said to him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. To Gideon, he declared, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And one of my favorite verses that God says to the people of Israel in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Jesus promised as he left his disciples to go back to heaven after he'd been risen from the dead in Matthew 28, those fantastic words, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a challenge here, though, for us. We can only experience God's presence if we lay down our striving, our worrying, and our fear. When we, as Spurgeon says, recognize that all other refuges are lies, 
All other strengths are weakness. They might offer a small relief, but they ultimately, as we've probably found over the last few weeks, have let us down. They do not offer the safety or the solution that we long for. And so, as Carrie pointed to us as well, I want to look at verse 10 where God says, Be still and know that I am God. How do I know that God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble? Well, God says, be still. As I walk around Burton, where I live, there are cars parked everywhere. They haven't moved now for four or five weeks. They're all looking quite dusty. Do you know what cars, I'm not an expert on cars, but I do know that cars are not designed to be still. They're designed to be on the move. They're designed to move with speed. The engines are finely tuned to be efficient and effective while being driven. They're not designed to sit idly outside our homes doing nothing. We, however, God says, are quite the opposite. We are created to be still. Be still. But how difficult we find that to be. Even with lockdown forced upon us, we still find it hard to be still. Have we filled our time with all sorts of activities over the last few weeks, filling the gap that has been left, perhaps unable to face the challenges of stillness and quiet? Samuel Wells, who's a vicar of St. Martin in the Fields and has written some great books, he says this, being with God alone is a terrifying experience of one's smallness, but an overwhelming experience of God's greatness. Perhaps this is why we avoid being still. It reminds us of our own smallness. It reminds us of something that by keeping busy we seek to avoid, that ultimately we have no control over our circumstances, that ultimately we are small we are mortal and we are unable to do anything about or de determine our future. Perhaps the coronavirus has reminded us all too starkly of these truths, that there is, um, that there, and maybe that is why there is such fear and anxiety. But God says, as we become still, we have the opportunity to know him to discover not only our smallness, but his amazing greatness, that he is mightily strong. But you know, God doesn't force this upon us. It's a choice that we have to make. We have part, if you like, in this imperative. We have a choice to be still, a choice to stop striving, a choice to trust God, our heavenly father, our mightily strong father, that he is our safe place, our refuge, our strength. When we are weak, we can choose to be near to him when we are in trouble. The mightily strong God that we were given a glimpse of at the beginning of this psalm, he requires us to submit to his sovereignty, to worship and to trust him alone. As we become Still, God gently takes our eyes off of the storm and onto himself. He calls, us, he calls us to see this offer of unfathomable love that was demonstrated to us in Jesus 
and promised to us by his spirit. We might feel a bit like that besieged city at the moment, that all around us is a raging storm, uncertainty and fear. But like that besieged city, God dwells in us. The river that brings life to that city is God himself. There's a refrain, I'm sure you noticed it and know it well, that occurs twice in Psalm 46. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This week, as we face another week of bad news, difficult circumstances, uncertainty, whether that be globally, nationally, or for many personally, let's use this refrain to remind us that in these days of social distancing, separation and isolation from family and friends, the Lord God Almighty himself, our creator, our mightily strong Father, our Saviour, is very present, very accessible, very close, very near, that he is with us. The God of Jacob, the God who loves to be in relationship with individuals by name, like Jacob, is our fortress. He is our safe place. He is our strength. And then we can confidently, confidently say, as the psalmist does, right at the beginning of the psalm, therefore, I will not fear. John Wesley, uh, the great founder of Methodism and the one who wrote, um, with his brother Charles, wrote countless hymns. Um, as he was dying, hardly unable to speak, he waved his hands and tried to get the attention of those at his bedside. He wanted to tell them something. And these were the words that he said. The best of all is, God is with us. Even as he faced death, as through his whole life, but even as he faced death, he was able to say, the best of all is, God is with us. May we be able to say with great confidence today, whatever we face, and even in death, the best of all is, God is with us.